This is our second session on Romans 15, 18 to 21. In the first session, we focused on those verses, zeroing in on Paul's missionary strategy, maybe a couple of summary words about that. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So the first thing we said was was that this is a very uh, glory-deflecting methodology of missions. A, A great missionary deflects glory away from himself or herself to Christ. Nevertheless, the work of Christ is through us, through Paul. Human agents really matter. And the goal of the mission is to bring the Gentiles to obedience, which we saw in 1.5 and 16.26, probably refers to the obedience of faith, which could mean the obedience which is faith or the obedience which flows from faith. Either one, maybe both are in Paul's mind. And then the means by which this through me happened, it happened by word and deed, it happened by the power of signs and wonders, it happened in the power of the Spirit. We noticed that the Spirit and Christ, here it says Christ is the one who is at work in Paul, and here it says the power of the Spirit is at work. So Christ works by his Spirit. It is the Spirit of God, but also the Spirit of Christ and the upshot was that from Jerusalem all the way around to northern Greece, Illyricum, Paul has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel, which we said is stunning because in those regions, thousands of people were not yet saved. But Paul is a frontier missionary, and his goal is to plant the church, not stay there and do all the work of a pastor to evangelize the local areas. So, to distinguish between a, um, a frontier missionary like Paul and a local pastor was essential to the strategy of the early church. Now, let's turn to this, this section right here. But first, let's ask the Lord's help. Father, as we turn, show us now what Paul's ambition involves. We want a holy ambition, and we want to have one the way Paul did in righteousness. So guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thus, meaning all these things I've said about how I go about missions, thus I make it my ambition. It's right for Christians to have a holy ambition. And I want to think in this session about what constitutes a good ambition. How is this ambition formed in the apostle? How could it be formed in us? Thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ, not where Christ has already been named. That's why he can say he's fulfilled the ministry here because Christ is named in those regions the church is established. Lest I build on someone else's foundation, but I'm not going to build on someone else's foundation, but rather, and then he quotes scripture, Isaiah 52, 15. 
those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, I want to draw out two amazing things about Paul's ambition here, which I think will inform your ambition and your sense of calling. This ambition is thus. I'm, I thus make it my ambition. One of the connections of this thus is, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That's the kind of ambition we have. Worldly ambition says, oh, I want lots of attention for my glory. I have an ambition to get glory, to be famous, to be thought highly of and praised much. And Paul says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So this ambition is Christ-exalting ambition. That's that thus implies. My ambition is an ambition that's dependent on the Holy Spirit and seeks the good of the nations and will not speak of anything except what Christ achieves through me. That's the kind of ambition I have. So that's the first thing. Now here's the second thing. How do you get an ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. In other words, how does a person sense a call to be a frontier missionary? How do you know if God wants you to be this kind of person rather than a person who stays at home and does local evangelism? Here's here's a clue. Instead of warranting this calling to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, he warrants it, that is, he supports it. He, he explains how it got birthed and formed, not by referring to Damascus Road. Remember, back in Acts 9, Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, and it was a stunning thing. He saw a light in the sky. He heard the very words of the Lord Jesus. He was blinded, knocked off his horse, couldn't see for three days. It was an absolutely amazing call. Changed his life entirely. And he doesn't refer to it as the reason for why he preaches the gospel, not where Christ is already named. What he does is quote something that's totally shareable with us. He quotes the Bible, Isaiah 52, 15. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So how does that apply to Paul? He says the same thing. Here's Acts 13, 46 and 47. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, you're preaching in the synagogue. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, that is, you Jews. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, that's the Lord Jesus, almost always in the book of Acts, has commanded us, saying, and then he quotes not what Jesus said on the Damascus Road, but here again, Isaiah, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's the same as here. He justifies his ambition 
to preach the gospel where Christ hasn't been named by quoting scripture. So I'm going to suggest that all of us can have this experience. It seems to me that for Paul, this and several other passages in the book of Isaiah simply took hold of him. They wouldn't let him go. It became obvious to him those are about his ministry. I think the same thing can happen to us. I think when you're listening, say, to a lab or to a sermon from your pastor, that a word of God can take hold of you and not let you go and become your holy ambition. So I'm suggesting there are two two characteristics of this ambition. One is that it is Christ-exalting rather than self-exalting. I will not venture to speak of anything from me, but only what Christ has accomplished, and thus I make it my ambition to preach. Thus, meaning with Christ being everything. And the second thing I can say about this ambition is that it was formed decisively, not primarily by an experience, but by the Word of God. He quotes Isaiah 52. And I think that's the way it works for us. I think of my own life. As I was studying the Bible toward the end of my college life and then into my seminary life, it was the Bible that became irresistibly powerful and took hold of me. And I couldn't imagine a life any other way than teaching and preaching the Bible.